between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my second season, I'm facilitating conversations with successful hairstylists and barbers. I'd love to invite you to listen in as we explore the significance of the hair, the importance of the relationship with hair artists and their community, why it's important to us, and even some common myths about this work. In this episode, we will discuss the art of hair. I'll be having a conversation with Ms. Johnny Crow, the artist, the stylist, who's created gallery exhibits using hair as a medium of art. Now, she not only does this in her hometown of Chicago, but all over the world. She's just getting back from Burkina Faso. Um, I know that we spent time together in Cuba, um, all related to hair. And not only does she make exhibits of art related to hair, but she also has styled um, artists, prominent black artists here as they are walking exhibits as well of her work. So let me give you a little bit of her bio. So Shawnee Crow is an interdisciplinary artist who received her BFA in film production from Howard University, HU, okay. <laughs> John H. Johnson School of Communications in 2011. Her work centers on cultural Coiffure. <laughs> See, you got thank you. I don't have the, the, the tongue for that. Adornment and beauty rituals as they relate to the diasporic African and how these practices function as tools to foster connectivity. She is most known for creating intricate cornrowed hairstyles, then capturing them as large photographic portraits. So do you take the pictures too? Yes. Well, okay. Yeah, I take them. I edit them. Yep. Okay. Okay. It'll take like 15 hours to do the hair. it take 15 minutes to shoot it. <laughs> and then you got to take it down. <laughs> so, so fat. okay, faster to take the photo than the hair. Um, so Shawnee's part of an ensemble selected to represent the U.S. and Venice architecture. Biennale. It's just the Italian word for you biennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And her work and performances have been featured at the Broad in Los Angeles. The Broad, yeah. Oh, it, it's spelled like Broad, but it's a their surname is see, Broad. See, yeah. Okay, see, and I'm thinking oh, I'm all smart. I can't even read You today, are smart. Okay. It, it reads Broad, though. But see, okay, it's I, just, I, I would yeah. use my African tongue for these. Yeah. I can read this Saturday Night Live <laughs> in collaboration with Solange Knowles, the Museum of Contemporary African and Diasporan Art um, in Brooklyn, the Urban Institute of Contemporary Art in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Columbia University, and Soho House Chicago. So she lives and works in Chicago Southside. So thank you so much for meeting with me today in Sankofa Cafe. This is a very special Howard University art black space. Yes. Um, so a sacred space for us to have this discussion about art. Um, I know Sankofa, the film, influenced me majorly, and Hallie Garima and his family yes. <laughs> sure have influenced you. So, all right, let's get started with this conversation. It was just last year 
that we met on a panel for Black History Month at Chicago State. And then we also made a group journey to Cuba um, during the summer to exchange with Afro-Cuban artists, hairstylists, and hip-hop artists. Um, and so obviously I don't know your whole story. We read the bio together. You helped me along that way. But I need you to bring us way back, like way, way, way back, back to when you fell in love with hair, back when you fell in love with art. So where does your journey begin for this? Well, for hair, um, I have a large family. And when I was younger, my two of my aunts, my Aunt Mildred and my Aunt Sandra, and then one of my cousins, Khadidra, who's nine years older than me, would braid my hair. Mm. My mother did not do hair at all. She was very hands off <laughs> with hair. She had locks at the time, um, so she was just trying to dead her whole... I mean, she was like, I'm, I'm getting my locks done. I'm done with this, and she would pass me off to my aunts. But um, I would also see some of my other cousins getting their hair braided, and I was just... I was interested at a young age, for sure, and I don't remember when exactly I was taught how to just braid, like braid a plait, hmm. but I know that... I feel that I learned from watching... Because I just would see it happening so long. And um, for me, it was almost like a, a rites of passage thing. Like it was something mm. that the big girls did. Like the big girls can braid. And I always saw it as something that was, um, I mean, like a great honor to be able to be trusted to beaut mm. beautify somebody else. Um, I guess maybe because just I, re I revered the women who I saw braiding mm. in that way. But um, I come from a family of artists. My dad is a, a illustrator and photographer, so I grew up with art tools around me all the time. Mm. And I've always been, I guess, a very tactile and creative uh, just child. So I was just able to watch it and pick it up just because of my interest. Mm -hmm. And um, then I would practice on my dolls, and I had <sighs> dolls. You know, dolls always have the worst. Their hair is implanted in a very strange pattern. It'll be yeah. like hair just around the part. <laughs> Then it'll be like a big patch of just bald plastic. Yes. And I had one doll that was... It was weird because it was the one doll that I had that wasn't black. I always said that she was just light-skinned, but she looked kind of like a Spanish-y, like Latina well, you know, doll. You know, there's a one-drop rule. There, black people got every type yeah. of skin color. I don't know. So for some reason, she looked a little bit more ethnic than the... If she wasn't a blonde hair, blue-eyed, white doll, she was like... I called her light-skinned. She just had brown hair. She was... I don't know. So... <laughs> That doll, for some reason, the quality of hair that they implanted in her hair, although it did have those plastic ball patches, was, um, I don't know if it was human hair, but it was high temperature resistant. Like, it was able to endure high heat. So I used to use curling irons and spritz on her hair. Okay, you were professional. Yeah, and I would do this when I was like, at least from the age of like seven and eight mm. to ten. Uh, well, probably, I got, I got more dolls that I play with later when I was above the age of 10, but I remember putting spritz on this doll's hair, curling it. I would put it in a ponytail and uh, practice trying to do those sculptured ponytails that uh, women wore back then in the 90s, mm -hmm. where it'd be like all the gel and all the spritz and like little swoop de whoops okay, the all suit. these curls mm -hmm. and a lot of height. There was a lot of height. And then I also had a wig that, it was like an old, um, it was a Halloween wig and it had bad quality hair um that would not hold up to high temperatures but i found out that it was wefts that were sewn to this wig base mm -hmm. so i cut them off of the wig and i would use nail glue to glue these tracks on the plastic part mm -hmm. of the scalp that my doll had mm -hmm. so i would make her i would give her weaves 
I would glue weaves in her hair with nail glue. And I still use nail glue in the fine art that I do. I use nail glue to do a whole... Nail glue, first of all, nail glue is a very, very, <laughs> very multi-purpose tool. Um, you can glue most plastic things or non-porous surfaces back together with nail glue. You can't really glue wood with it unless you like really saturated. Okay, so you, it. you've been working with this product yeah, for a while. <laughs> I use, I mean, like a lot of the stuff that I use even still today in my, my hair art, especially, of course, but... And some of the fine art that I do, I get it at the beauty supply because mm-hmm. that's one of the places that's most accessible in my community. And mm-hmm. I also feel that I live on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So there might not be a Michaels in your community, but there is a beauty supply. <laughs> so you can find a bunch of random stuff from China, all of China's finest <laughs> wares at the beauty supply. And sold by out, Koreans. Right, sold by <laughs> Koreans. Yeah, everything made in China, but sold by Koreans. In Taiwan and mm-hmm. stuff, so... Um, yeah, I was just really making it work. But the things that I experimented with as a child um, really do, I still use a lot of those techniques and things that I just experimented with in the work that I do now. And from there, that interest, uh, I started to braid my own hair when I was about between the ages, like I think around 10, mm-hmm. like maybe nine, but 10, I remember for sure, because at that point, some of the styles that I wanted, the design braids, um, a lot of the crisscrosses and zigzags and other things that I wanted to wear, my aunt really couldn't do. So mm-hmm. I just started to experiment on myself. Mm-hmm. And um, on classmates, um, like, you know, there were some days where we had like a, you know, at the end of the school year when we're done so with at testing. School. Yeah. At school. Mm-hmm. At school on the <laughs> playground, just practicing on people's hair. Um, practicing on my own hair Mm -hmm. and then my own hair ended up earning me clients because I would get inquiries about who did my braids and I'm like me and they're like do you do other people's hair and I'm like let me ask my mom (laughs) I don't know (laughs) like sure I'll give it a try and um, I saw a sign in this one African braid shop that said Invisiweave and I was like what does that mean and I interpreted that to mean that it was a cornrow where you couldn't see where the weave was added. Mm-hmm. And at this time, this is like in 2000, like the year 2000, mm-hmm. 2002, between those time periods. I was like, how do I do that? So I just came up with theories and I was like, if I, this is before feed-in braids, right? Yeah. So I'm like, if I braid their hair to a certain point and then I stop the braid and the space between the unbraided part mm-hmm. and the braided part, if I lay one piece of hair there, and take a small piece from the unbraided part and add it to the braided part and then braid the braid the weave in mm. then that will extend the braid and so at that point I was the only person doing that and I was calling it invisible weave but I found out later that invis the invisible weave that the sign that I saw was referring to was actually some sort of tree braid where mm. it's like a Almost like something akin to like a micro braid where you okay. start with a little bit of braid and then mm-hmm. you, you leave most of the hair loose. So it ends up looking like just loose hair, yeah. but it mm-hmm. has like a small, like a thin braided base. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I did something else yeah, totally you, you with it. you created a whole new platform for <laughs> Yeah, but now now when I add hair, I do it in the traditional feed-in braid mm-hmm. way because that's just um, the style now. People want the braids to be more full and exaggerated. Back then, people liked the braids to be... Um, like just the thickness of their natural yeah, hair. Yeah. So it was a different method for a different um, style demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just I've always just been a, I mean, I guess like a scientist in the way that I approach things. I'm like trying to figure mm-hmm. out the best method. I'm hearing lots <laughs> of experiments that I'm imagining. I don't know what your toy chest look like, but lots of 
melted. Oh no, no, no! Yeah. I didn't. You I didn't, didn't melt it. No, I what didn't the melt okay. the dolls. Um, for some reason, I was able to figure out which okay, dolls so to you take. Heat, it. You could heat train the doll hair, so know how much heat to apply. To well, it. yeah, it was just some of them. You just you could tell by looking at it that it can't take it. Like right, some so of you, it you is like plasticky. Okay. Yeah, and that that one, I don't know what doll, I don't know what brand of doll that was, but shout out to them for uh, giving that doll the best hair, the best doll hair ever that I could curl and do all kinds of stuff to, because I, I definitely did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because you were bringing up different techniques and um, strategies to approaching styling, but I'm very curious in terms of what products you use and even what tools you're using to create these masterpieces. Well, um, back in the day, I used to use Let's Jam, Shining and Conditioning Gel, the one with the orange top, but if anybody has ever used that product, at about the halfway mark, it turns into liquid. Mm-hmm. Like, it turns into, like, hair grease instead of a gel. Mm-hmm. But it was able to stay gel long enough for you to, um, you know, just to stick the hair together enough for you to make a clean part. Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to just bunch the hair together enough to start the braid cleanly. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was using that. But now I use uh, Shine and Jam, mm-hmm. which is similar to that product, but it does not melt. It stays, um, it's a, it's a, I mean, so many braiders use this. It's mm-hmm. like, I actually think I, I've started using this product from watching Genji. She's a Puerto Rican braider. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce her, pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. G-U-I-N-G-U-I. But she does a lot of really beautiful braided styles. Um, she's been featured in a lot of different things. Yeah. But I had seen Shine and Jam, but I thought that it was the same thing as Let's Jam. Mm-hmm. But when I found <laughs> out that it was like, Everything that that less jam was not, then I started using that because in between that time I was using edge control, mm-hmm. which does everything that shine and jam does, but it's you get like a, a third of the amount and mm-hmm. it costs more. Okay. So I don't know, but shine and jam really works wonders. If That's you need to go-to. slick a ponytail down and you don't want to, if you don't want it hard and crispy, you can use shine and jam. If you want to. Uh, use it for braid applications like I and a lot of other braiders do. It's mm-hmm. great. And then also, um, I also use like edge control to it. Mm-hmm. Both of them work fine for okay. that. But Shine and Jam is the best because it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so being economical with it. Yeah. And then is there like a special tool you use for, for parting? Because that seems like a real important oh, part yeah. of the braiding I'm process. Super OCD with parting. Um, <laughs> I use a rat tail comb with a metal tail, mm-hmm. but. So when you go to the beauty supply, there is a big bucket of them that are a dollar. And mm-hmm. then there's the ones that are individually hung um, that cost maybe like 2 or $3. I get the the individually wrapped ones. But um, <laughs> all these years of experience, I guess, like, there are certain things that I look for when I buy a comb. So one brand that I like is Diana. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the top of the comb, the closer the comb is at the top to a right angle, the better you'll be able to part with it. Some of the combs to the right curve at the at the end, like the if you're looking at the top of the comb, so where it has the teeth to be are. real crisp, not like a yeah, bend yeah. To it. Some okay. of them they like the top tooth curves. You can mm-hmm. still part with that, but that means that that top that first tooth is likely going to be a little bit thicker than the rest of the teeth. Hmm. So it's going to be so you want, it needs not to be the sharp. same size. I as want the, the teeth. I want the first tooth of the comb to be as pointy and as straight as it can be Hmm. so sometimes i modify combs like the one i use the most now is a white diana comb with a metal tail and i removed the second and third teeth with a nail a cuticle nipper Mm -hmm. 
See, I just cut them out. They do that at my salon too. That they, they say the that the top, I mean the second or third interferes with like quality yeah. part. Okay, so they're right. They're yeah, right yeah, they're right. Too. You just want to isolate that comb as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And um, because this is, as you can tell from me talking about mm-hmm. this, I'm really serious about it. <laughs> so I'm actually trying to get a comb manufactured. So, um, yes. but then as you know, back to everything being made in China. <laughs> Um, needs to be Chicago to, based right I would like to be able company right. factory so you if, make. if you know anybody <laughs> that specializes in molding uh, heat resistant plastics with their, mm. which they refer to as carbon combs mm. um, holler at me because you know I would like to keep it local if I can yeah yeah. okay so, so we got <laughs> the special combs we got the shine and jam what do you use to make sure that the hair is well moisturized oh yes I make my own oil blend oh. see I'm, I'm the worst at promoting myself <laughs> Oh my god. I've made my own oil blends for about three years now. And um, I just try to put the most um, nourishing, growth promoting oils together mm-hmm. that I knew. Um, that, of course, I try to use organic oils and okay. essential oils as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, I got. Uh, sweet almond oil, a little bit of mm-hmm. coconut oil, hemp seed oil. Mm-hmm. And these are all things that in addition to being nourishing to your skin and, and fast absorbing, like they don't really sit on your skin. They sink in. Okay. Um, they stim- help to stimulate your scalp, which uh, stimulate, stimulate your circulation, which will stimulate growth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. growth promoting um, has a lot of essential oils that are like antifungal and um, uh, antibacterial, you know, mm-hmm. the tea trees um, and also things that feel good on your scalp. Mm-hmm. The ones that tingle, like tea tree and peppermint, rosemary oil, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel, it feels good when you put it on your scalp, and then once you massage it in, it kind of feels like, you mm-hmm. know, kind of tingly and active. <laughs> you know, it's a feeling that's good, and it's soothing to braids, too, so. Cool, okay, yeah, because yeah. everybody knows that, that braids can really be um, harsh for some people, depending on the braider. Yeah. So that this is to stimulate the hair follicle and, mm-hmm. like, keep it alert and alive yes, <laughs> yes. while holding the braid. Absolutely. And it's called, I just named it after myself, well, my last name, which is Crow. So it's mm-hmm. called Crow Stimulating Scalp Oil. Mm-hmm. It's available on my website, shinycrow.com. Nice. nice. And uh, also, going back to what you were saying about hurting, uh, you know, braids can be really, getting bra- getting your hair braided can be really... Um, a traumatizing experience mm-hmm. sometimes if you have people that are quote heavy handed in your hair or people who you know some people their grip their, the way that they braid if they braid underhanded they have to get more of a grip on your hair and so mm-hmm. the process can be more you know you can experience more tension at least to while the braiding is being done so that was part of the reason also that I tried to braid my own hair at a young age because I'm tender headed. Oh. My aunts would be like, you know, doing this and trying to multitask on the phone and you're like, I'll trying to myself. pop you with the brush or something. And you're like, this is just too much. Like turning your head real oh, hard, no, you know, no. just, it could get, I mean, it could get like, you know, it could be an experience. It's not really a good one. So one of my, um, claims to fame as a braider in addition to doing the Invisiweave, which was like, you know, at the time, you know, revolutionary and cool and exclusive, um, People also like me because I wasn't hurting them. Mm-hmm. I was able to grip all these tiny hairs and make a secure braid, but not one that was tight and causing you so much pain. Mm-hmm. But of course, after it's done, collectively, it's a little tight. Like if you touch your head, it'll yeah. be a little tender. But the process itself was not, um, you know, as excruciating or okay. as uncomfortable. So 
and that really brought me joy because I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I've been hurt, so I don't want I don't want anybody to be hurt by me. Yeah. So 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 to have a very gentle gentle touch mm-hmm. along with the ideal tools and products. All right, so let's even move a little bit towards the human art that you've created. So Solange, right? So Solange is considered a natural hair goddess, right? That she has really been promoting health and healing and even being in touch with our African roots. Whether now with her Florida water and stuff, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta cleanse stuff. So how did you two get connected? Um, and what st- stood out the most to you about braiding up her roots? Well, um, it's, it's amazing now, this day and age, um, for example, braids, the, the, the set of 10 images that I produced, 10 black and white images that I styled and photographed. Once I released that work, every week, something new would happen where I would realize that my work was being exposed to mm-hmm. audiences beyond uh, what I had imagined. So it'd be like, oh yeah, the New York Times wants to feature your photos. I'm like, for real? When I made that series, I just wanted my friends to like it and, you know, people to think I did a good job, get a pat on the back and (laughs) move on. Maybe for somebody to buy one of my pieces, but I wasn't really selling them for anything that was gainful to me at that point. So, I mean, I had not low expect, I had high expectations for the art and the quality that I was putting out, but I had no, um, I hadn't really perceived what path I wanted this to take. So I was just, every... Like every day, every week, I would just be like amazed by who was able to see my work. And one of those cases is, I guess, Solange saw my work. (laughs) And I was actually here in D.C. for my five-year homecoming uh, at Howard (laughs) University. And I got an email from somebody like, hey, um, do you want to make some headpieces for Solange for Saturday Night Live? And I'm like, get out of here. Like, who is this? (laughs) It, it It was like a nondescript type email. And I thought it was kind of a joke, but I definitely wasn't going to you know act like it was a joke (laughs) so i was like okay sure then you know a few days later i'm on the phone with solange and uh chuck amos who was the stylist that did the second look he made a beautiful um wig for her Mm -hmm. that nobody thought was a wig because everybody was like how did you take her hair down so fast for the next (laughs) performance and i was like "Uh (laughs) aha like that ain't you know her hair was still braided under that beautiful unit that Chuck made. So major shout out to Chuck Amos. He's he's really super sweet, just mm-hmm. a great great energy. But Solange herself, uh, she's really she has a really um, a, a vision for what she wants, and she has the tools to make it happen because she um, surrounded by so many great creatives, and uh, she knows how to get the teams that can really produce her vision, execute her vision to the highest degree. So um, I really respect her vision because um, it, it was good for me to see women be able to... Because usually, you know, I guess typically we expect men to be like, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to get. And that her approach was not um, mean or anything. She was kind, just, you know, getting... Yeah. She's just... She has a she vision. A vision yeah. Right. And she's going to get what she wants, as she should. Um, so it was just... It was, it was really kind of empowering for me to witness that. Because um, she was just like unrelenting and like, you know, I want it to be of this quality and this is what it's going to be. I'm not going to settle for anything less than what I want. Mm. Um, So that was really beautiful. Just working on that. That whole experience was super surreal. Watching that halo kind of glisten on Mm. stage was just almost cried when I first saw it um, in the rehearsal. (laughs) At one point... um, I think that just in the, in the the mix of everything that was happening, 
after the call, I was supposed to submit some um, ideas, uh, some sketches rather. And I submitted them, but I don't, something happened. I think it was just so much happening. And I was just like, maybe they don't want to work with me anymore because mm-hmm. I didn't hear back from anybody. But I just started making it on faith because I was like, there's no way in hell that if someone hits me up like the day before or whenever, I'm not going to have this shit done. I'm going to have it done. So, <laughs> you know, I don't care. And I was like, you know, at, you know, even if it's not used for this, I can still shoot it for my own work. So there's no loss. Well, there would have been a loss because those Swarovski crystal beads cost a lot of money. But mm-hmm. I would have, you know, it would have been fine. Whatever. Just taking a leap of faith to make sure mm-hmm. I completed it. Then the day before, one of her, uh, somebody in her team was like, yo, we need, <laughs> well, they're like, first of all, this is the wrong color. Because oh. I didn't know the hair color. Solange had uh, lightened her hair. So it was like, excuse me, it was like what technically is a color eight. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if you go to the beauty supply, you see one, one B, two, four. They rarely have six and eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, they exist, but mm-hmm. they rarely have them in most beauty supplies. Usually four is the brownish you're going to get. Then you go into the honey blondes mm-hmm. and uh, the reds and all of that stuff. So luckily, I had started making the halo, uh, wrapping it in a 1B because I thought her hair was just 1B. Like in doubt, if you're in doubt, usually you go with like a 1B or a 2 because mm. it, it'll be versatile enough to deal with most people's natural hair color. Yeah. And because I didn't know exactly what color, I just did that. But by the time I actually got in touch with somebody, it was like, it's the wrong color. We need it to be brown. <laughs> and I had already maybe spent like 10 hours so I was oh like, okay, goodness. but it was no, it was no problem for me yeah. because I just like I want it to be what you want because yeah. this is you know it's for a salon. Just mm-hmm. a, I mean this is a, a dream opportunity. You know I'm not I, I didn't feel any way about it. I just got up and went to the beauty supply, <laughs> and luckily the the one I went to they had the color eight, and I felt like it was almost like um, some sort of divine intervention mm-hmm. because I'm telling you you don't see these colors. <laughs> It was like, oh, yeah, it was like, okay, okay we, got, we got the color uh, eight for you. It was a six or eight, I think, one of those. But yeah, they had it. I just went home. I re- recovered what I'd already done. And then I started to bead. And I was using Swarovski crystal seed beads and um, like a, a clear beading thread that looks almost like fishing line. So I'm using clear tiny beads with clear thread. So I'm like going blind trying to like pick these beads up. She's demonstrating what yeah. the beads look like. <laughs> I'm like, like I mean, I, I use my hands a lot. So I'm like, really? Like, ugh. Like, <laughs> you know, trying really hard to make this happen. And they put me on the, the first flight out the next day. I was in New York at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. I arrived. Um, at that point, I think I had maybe completed a quarter of the beading because mm-hmm. I had to go back and redo, rewrap all the braiding to make it match her hair color. Mm. So um, then when I got there... Solange was um, uh, on vocal rest just to prepare for her mm-hmm. performance. So she was like writing notes and her assistant was communicating to me. And she was like, okay, we're not really sure we like the beads. So is there any way you can go get flat back crystals instead, cut off all the beads, replace them with thin mm-hmm. braids, and then glue the flat back crystals on there? I was like, if you want it, I'm mm-hmm. going to make it happen. So I went to this bead shop, Toho Shoji in New York. It's a really great like Japanese bead shop. I got the crystals, came back. By that time, they were in dress rehearsal, and she was just like, just bring what you have so I can just see how it looks on camera. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I didn't start cutting anything off, because as soon as we put it on and we saw how it looked in the camera, I'm telling you, when I saw it, I almost like cried, because mm-hmm. it looked so pretty, just the way it was lit, and it was so cool. 
And then everybody was like, oh, no, it's perfect. Mm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Man, but if I had, I'm telling you, you yeah. got to, I don't know, the way you move has to be, you know, quick enough, but then also reserved enough to, to think for yourself. I don't know. It's a, it has to happen in the right time. Because yeah. I'm telling you, if I had cut them off, I would have not finished it in time for the performance. The, the ancestors know, because even though the light right now in the room is <laughs> right. shining right on your face, it's like dark every el- yeah. place else in this room, but right on your face. But it, So it really, really, li- everything aligns. Everything aligned uh, perfectly. So I just, the rest of the time, it was two days before the performance, I think. I had mm-hmm. Thursday and Friday. And uh, some of Saturday before night <laughs> before saturday night and um, i just was sitting in the corner beating the whole mm-hmm. time and people would be coming mm-hmm. in like what is she doing <laughs> yeah and melina i mean melina matsukis the director she came in her and solange are really good friends and they mm-hmm. were like chatting and then she came up to me and she was like the webs we weave <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like yeah girl i'm i'm weaving for my life <laughs> before all, this all performance of, yeah all types of nazi references in there right too. yeah so the experience was great though i mean all in all everybody in that camp just really great people and seeing the way her family supports her mm. uh, miss tina knowles was there mm-hmm. her son jules was there her husband um you know other family friends came mm. and it was just really cool to see because it was just like you know my family supporting mm. me or something you know it's just good to see that that same black love and synergy mm. that functional black mm. family at that level yeah and then i was surprised because beyonce and jay-z walk in i'm like what the <laughs> So I'm like, dang, everybody came. Sis was there, brother-in-law, like everybody, nobody was going to miss this opportunity to support her. So mm-hmm. that was really beautiful to witness. Aww. It was great. That, that sounds like an amazing experience and very, very divine. So you yourself are clearly a visionary. I know you were saying Solange had a very specific image and vision for herself, but you have this too. What does your creative process look like? Um, and... How do you continue to amplify your creative energy? Wow. You know, the process for me is a lot of me. People that know me, man, I I, I do a lot of staring off into space. And I'm just in my head thinking about patterns. I think about mm. braiding patterns. And when I think about them, I just imagine. And sometimes I have to even mind with my fingers what I'm going to do. I don't sketch things out. Um, mm. Because I, which is weird, because I do draw as well. Yeah. But I don't draw people. I draw like patterns and designs and um, symbols and things. So I don't know. I just think about them until they make sense, and then I, I, my sketching is just on the head. I, they go from concept to to product. Okay, so you're you're like a freestyle rapper. Like you don't need to write. It's just flow. No, I think I, about it. I plan it well, in my mind. Okay, yeah, I plan it in my mind, but I don't. Um, I don't actually every like all the images from braids they were all experiments that was the first time i had done i had they existed as, as ideas and then how they came out it worked <laughs> and i shot them <laughs> mm. and that's how it how it works um, okay so it's a very deep thought it's yeah like go, really extremely going deep and- thought yeah i'm a super pensive person I yeah I just stare at the wall and think a lot or stare into space and think a lot I'm always thinking and the most um you know as long as I'm thinking about my art then those thoughts are totally Mm -hmm. you know 
um, productive, positive, and beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I try to consume myself with creative thinking all the time. Mm-hmm. That's creativity, creating, that's positive, yes. you know. Well, then I'm even curious, while you're braiding, do you listen to certain music? Do you need to have certain smells? Do you have to have certain lighting? Like, how do you create space when you're actually doing the work? Well, most of the work that I did for braids, I had friends around. Um, My friends are really great at helping. One of my best friends, Imani Amos, she did the makeup for most of the looks. She's not necessarily a makeup artist, but she knows how to do makeup. Mm -hmm. She does her own. And I didn't want them to look made up as much as I just wanted to enhance their natural features because Mm -hmm. the images were black and white. So I was just focusing on um, their natural cheekbones, just kind of accentuating that. Uh, Lashes. I did put lashes on Mm -hmm. most of the models. Um, You know, a nice sturdy brow. Things like that. But having my friends around and also the women that I shot were all friends of mine or family members. So it was a really um, natural vibe already. So I think that that synergy is important Mm -hmm. in my work because I like to I like to um, either work with friends or try to create a friendly environment in which I create the stuff that I want just so I can feel comfortable enough to get the ideas out because I'm I know that I have a lot of years and experience braiding, but I never approach anything like oh i'm about to just kill i don't have that i that attitude about the work that i do Mm. i'm always like at the whim of the product i'm always like is this gonna work you know Mm. i just try my best to do my best yeah um you know and i will part and repart and repart (laughs) and repart for like 12 times i was gonna say how long how long does it usually take so even for for braids like how much time did you spend braiding hair for these installations at various museums around the world how long does it actually take to create well ma'am the all the well the the braids images i think the quickest one maybe took about four hours Mm -hmm. and the longest one took like 12 hours and then an additional and this is continuous do you take breaks no it's usually continuous the 12 hour one (laughs) i did 12 hours straight we took we took breaks to eat um but it was like i don't when I braid, I'm not in, um, I don't have any, like, you know, if you if you have to stand for like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, sometimes you're shifty and stuff. But when I'm focused on doing something, mm. I don't, I kind of lose all of my, like, um, my, like, human needs, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't feel that my legs So you're hurt. in a trance, basically. Yeah, I trance braid for sure. Yeah. And I, it's hard for me to stop, too. Like, sometimes I'll be like... All right, after this braid, we'll take a break and then I'll just keep braiding because I can't stop. Like, I have to have someone there to be, I have to have the people tell me to stop. You got to be so curious about your ancestry. I'm like, is she massage? I don't know. I got to do some, um, I got to do some, some research. But it's weird because I also, I feel like I'm also really ADD about Mm -hmm. a lot of things, but I'm not about, um, the the creative work that I do I can focus on that almost nonstop mm. yeah it's just because it's it's what I'm thinking about already too so it's like making a dream reality mm. but it's because it's manifesting a dream it's still dream like in a Ooh, way wow I guess I don't yeah. know but it, it definitely like trance is a good way to and a lot of the the ideas that I think about um so I also, I mean, I studied film production at Howard. When I would mm-hmm. think about movies that I wanted to make or scenes that I wanted to produce, I would just play them out in my mind. And they'd be like, you know, super cinematic. But then it's like, how, I mean, how close can I get to that mm-hmm. idea? I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just trying my best to 
articulate those ideas and stuff. You are you are accessing <laughs> something so deep yet connected because I'm just even thinking about um, there are different like historical psychologists that would talk about this collective unconscious and that you know how yeah. to go in there that's connected to all things that have ever existed and bring it out into physical form and like being a conduit almost sounds like but through this art and especially when it comes to to braids um this is deep so okay sometimes i feel that way but um i don't know it's definitely a feeling but i don't mm-hmm. know how to i don't know i'm more so i'm more concerned about experiencing it and just trying to do my best yeah. with what i have than i am um trying to explain it because I, I know <laughs> some people i hear talk about stuff and i'm like you're a fraud like <laughs> you know i can just tell that it's not real you know so I think that for me, I just try my best with my actions yeah. or just to, to, I don't know. No, no. I, I get it as, as a stylist myself, I need to like study under you, but that there is something very spiritual that's happening that can't be explained. I know that I've touched certain people's heads and I'm like, did you just have a breakup or like, how old is your baby? Because I could feel certain things even radiating from them. And so I'm just mindful of what I'm putting in return too, in terms of hair being like an antenna and channeling yeah. all these different things. But let's talk about your hair for a second. So <laughs> Johnny, I've seen you with lots of different styles currently. Okay. She has a yarn hair mixture. It has gr- so green hair. Yeah. Actually blue. It's, it's um, highlighter yep. yellow and yep. then blue okay. mixed together. And it see, looks like it looks green. Like, see, I can't even. I'm a chronic customizer. I love to mix. Every, like if it, I can't just put hair off the. I can't put a color as it comes in my hair. I always have to mix it okay, with something okay. else. It's too, so she, cur- <laughs> she curates and customizes her own look. So, so can you tell me a little bit about your hair journey and even how it reflects um, your identity um, connected to your hair, connected to your sense of beauty and ritual too? Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I come from a, a family that was. Um, very Afrocentric and um, connected to Africanness. I grew up knowing that I was a person of African descent and uh, went to an Afrocentric school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grew up saying really, um, you know, what people would call now kind of militant, uh, you know, aff- affirmations. We so you, grew up. You, you've always been woke. <laughs> right. We've always been down. That was just the community that I came from. But at the same time, um, you know, just being a, a young woman growing up in the 90s, I would see, like, Aaliyah and all mm. the people that had, like, the super greasy, uh, slick press that everybody was wearing back then. It's funny to look at it now and think that we were aspiring to have that greasy, motionless press, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> well, did you ever have a perm? No, never had a perm. Mm-hmm. Never Me had either. a perm, but um, I had a, when I was younger, I think I wanted to wear my hair straight, mm-hmm. and I thought that you had to get a perm in order to do that. So I did, at one point, want a perm, but mm-hmm. I never got it because... My parents wouldn't allow that. My dad, especially, he was like, no, he wouldn't allow me to even get my hair pressed. Um, so no heat. Yeah. So I, I think when I was twelve, my my aunt took me to the beauty college and somebody did like a really soft press and curl on my hair. Um, I went to sleep that night. The whole roots, like I woke up and the roots were all. Um, puff you know back kind of puffy and curly, but the ends were still straight. So I just put them. I wore it in a ponytail and I had like. A little bun with a little end sticking out, mm-hmm. which was some style that we used to wear back in the 90s, early 2000s. My dad, he came and picked me up from my mom's house one time because my parents lived separately. And he was like, he saw the back of my hair and he marched me back upstairs, back to the third floor Uh-oh. of the apartment. And he was like, 
yo, like you let her get her hair straight. Like I don't, I don't want her to wear her hair straight because I don't want her to think that her own hair is not good enough in its mm-hmm. natural state. But at that particular point, I didn't, I didn't think about it as me. Um, it, it was more so of a wanting to be kind of like everybody else, which is something that you at that age, like that's that age in adolescence. Mm-hmm. You kind of do want to look like your peers, yeah. you know. So I was just like, oh, you know, some girls that I know, they wear their hair straight. And I think it's so cool. Well, mostly because it was just different, you know, mm-hmm. just a way to switch your style up. So I wanted to wear that. And I was really sad that he thought that I didn't um, like my hair in its natural state. Um, but I just wanted to wear it straight. I didn't mm-hmm. want to permanent. At that point, I knew the difference between, you know, you can wear your hair straight yeah. without permanent. But... Um, you know, I was kind of disappointed. But then when I got in high school, I started to wear it. I wore it half braided. I wore braids most of the time. I would do layered cornrows, like what people would call Alicia Keys braids back mm-hmm. then. It would be like cornrowed to about like the top half of mm-hmm. your hair and then the back would be individual braids. And what I would do then to customize my braids, because I'm a chronic customizer, <laughs> I wasn't putting weave in my hair. I was just wearing my own hair. Mm-hmm. But I would go to Michael's and buy glass beads and all those really, those jewelry beads, and I would mm-hmm. put them on my hair. But if you've ever tried to put glass beads on hair, you know, the holes are tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny. So I'm sure I needed a trim really bad. But the fact that I hadn't been trimming my hair worked to my <laughs> advantage <laughs> at that point because my hair whittled down to like a really tiny point and I was able to thread these little beads on my like hair. Like a single right, <laughs> right on like <laughs> on like six strands of hair at the bottom of this braid. Um but it was really cute. It allowed me I had like my mom had this I don't know what they call the necklace, but have you seen those necklaces that are made out of like a bunch of thin disc beads? Hmm. Oh, it yes. looks like a, the necklace like would be about this thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my mom had a necklace like that that broke. Mm-hmm. So they were just individual discs. They look like washers. So I would put those at the end of the ends of my beads. Mm-hmm. I would just try to style as much as I would. I'll wear bone beads, all kind of like Native American beads. Wow. And just really trying to customize the bead work, you know, at least since the, the braid styles were kind of popular back then. And then the rest of the time, I would just flat iron my hair. I wore it just in a wrap, you know, mm-hmm. putting like pink lotion or something on it and pressing it, putting some uh, curl wax or something <laughs> yes. on it and pressing it, yes. something really heavy and greasy and, you know, the thinner the better back then. <laughs> and then uh, then later in college, that was at the point where they had developed, I mean, they come out with ceramic flat iron, so mm-hmm. we didn't have to grease it up so much and you could have like a bouncy curl <laughs> so I was wearing my hair pressed mostly while I was at Howard but it wasn't it again wasn't about like not liking my natural hair I just really didn't know how to wear it as much and then sometimes I would wear it the most natural style that I would wear it at that point was I would, if my press got old I would braid my hair into one continuous braid or like and then I would wet it and then let it dry and then take it down and let it be crinkly and wear it in like a crinkle fro. Mm-hmm. So I would do that too. And I like that a lot. Okay, um, so so some braid outs. Yeah, some braid outs. <laughs> yeah, a little braid out here and there. But I don't think I think it was just more like a being a creature of habit at that point. And then I had clients in college. Nobody was wearing braids when I was in college. I was in college between 2007 and 2011 Hmm. nobody was wearing braids unless you had unless they were the braids under their sewing (laughs) (laughs) so i was sewing i was braiding people's hair to sew weave to it and then i was also pressing everybody's hair too so i had clients too in college but they weren't braid clients so Mm -hmm. i took a long break from braiding Mm -hmm. because no one the demand for it was super Mm -hmm. low 
Yeah, I hear you talking a lot about these trends across time. Kind of like you're like, yeah. this was the 90s, so you could do that. It was 2011, you could do that. So since you often um, time travel yourself with your <laughs> art in terms of staring into off onto the wall. So the past, the present, and future is all incorporated into your work. Um, so what do you think will be the next creative path for braids for black women? Well, now... I'm noticing that colors are becoming way more available. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also noticed that a lot of the braid style trends are trends that are, you know, from various regions in West Africa. Like a lot of the braids that people call tribal braids and stuff are the way people wear their hair, like Fulani women wear their mm -hmm. hair or um, other women. I just came back from Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. they were, they're wearing their hair and a lot of the styles that we wear, that we're, that we're wearing. Mm -hmm. But it's like one of those things where you can't tell who hit it first. It's like you can't <laughs> tell if, I don't know. But um, the colors, I think that uh, materials, like I see people using Brazilian yarn now, which Brazilian wool, which is basically like yarn fibers that are just, laid together instead of being twisted together into yarn mm. um it's not wool at all it's just mm. acrylic i don't know why they call it brazilian wool so like a weird misnomer but um i think the material and the way that we accessorize it mm. is kind of the way that it's changing and then it's becoming more and more african in a way that i really like mm -hmm. and i it's weird because black women a lot of black people now i think i'm more um open to the fact and more um i guess aware of the fact that they are people of African descent. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it took Black Panther, that's one thing, you know, that, I mean, that's, I can't so be mad at that, right? Braids on a whole new level. Yeah, well, just people, you <laughs> know, ex hair. well, just blackness, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, people realizing that blackness doesn't just, doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes mm -hmm. from Africa. You're black because you have African ancestry. So, um, but I think that even in knowing that some people may not recognize that some of the styles that they're wearing and things like that are also coming from African references. Mm. I don't know, but I'm hoping that as this continues to develop, so does the awareness of where it's coming from and then mm. the pride in that. Yeah. You know, I, I see that people are, you know, I mean, I think it may just be Instagram sending me, you know, the algorithms that, <laughs> that determine the stuff that we see on Instagram is making me think that I'm around all of these, you know, quote woke black people but mm -hmm. maybe that's just the people that are in mm -hmm. <laughs> my kind of group but I don't know I just I hope that whatever, whatever the case with black hair my hope for black people and black women especially is that they be aware and proud of their um African ancestry mm, I say all right this this has been amazing. <laughs> this has been amazing. I'm so happy that we got to have this conversation. I know we've had other conversations on panels in front of people, um, but also private ones and even thinking about the significance of hair for African people in general and how we can go deeper into our identity through expressing ourselves through our hair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel like I took part of a historical event just now. Oh, really? Oh, you're making me feel <laughs> this, so this conversation, being at Sankofa, this place particularly raised me, my husband, um, and just thinking about the creative energy of people who've even had interviews in here, I'm sure. So, all right. So I know you're working on lots of stuff. Um, Shawnee, can you tell listeners what you're working on next and how to keep in contact with you in your various projects that are coming up? Yes. Um, well, I'm still shooting looks um, right now. One project that I'm working on is a red, black, and green series. It's going to be all in color. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly hair portraits, but there'll also be other manifestations of red, black, and green there. And my father just, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while, but I was talking to my dad about it like a month ago. And he was like, you know, next year is the 20, the hundred year anniversary of the black flag. And I'm like, mm-hmm. let's have the show next year. So yes. this is like the the push <laughs> that I needed to just focus on one body because I can be all over the place. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I have um, newer black and white images that I haven't posted that have been just at my shows or things like that. So but how do people get to see these shows? My Instagram is my private page, and so I just run it like I did when I had, you know, 2,000 followers, and now it's like almost 50,000, and I'm not um, using it so much for art publicity as I should. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't post about a lot of things that I have going on, mm-hmm. um, and I just, I need to be better about that, but maybe <laughs> I'll do a separate page that okay. I can have put in, in someone else's hands, and okay. they can they can push <laughs> so my stuff. So they have a social media intern, yeah. that their sole purpose yeah, is to really show to the art that. that you're creating. Yes, but I do have some updates on my website. Um, I just had, I think it might still be up, actually until the, until the beginning of April, I believe. I have some work up, some of the original braids images mm-hmm. at Opaka Gallery and Albany College mm-hmm. um, in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this this project that you mentioned in my in my intro uh, that was shown last year at the Venice Architectural Biennale. It's a collaboration between myself, Amanda Williams, and Andres L. Hernandez. The L is silent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a joke, a running joke. But um, it's called Thrival Geographies. In my mind, I see a line, and it's a, a sculpture piece um, that. Um, it's themed about around black woman space and um, a lot of different facets of the, the black female experience and the pursuit of freedom and the policing of black bodies, but manifested in this this um, steel structure that is totally clad in braided paracord, which is all the, all the braid work is done by me and a few uh, lovely assistants. But um, it's all hand braided now. How many hours I spent on that? I don't know. <laughs> but there are... It has to be hundreds of thousands of feet of braided paracord on that mm. piece. And um, that's on display now at Wrightwood 659 in Chicago in the Lakeview neighborhood. Um, I think tickets for that are available on their website. Um, I have not really promoted that one as much because I would like for it to be... Um, because it's a collaboration and it was a part of a larger exhibit, um, our participation was kind of... You know, we had to participate in a way. I mean, we had a it, we had to participate basically, and it's a beautiful new iteration. I've changed the outside, um, kind of exposed a little bit more of the interior braids, and I really love the way it looks this time mm. around. And I would like for people to see it, but the reason why I haven't been pubbing it as much is just because uh, one of the one of our um, requests and agreeing to be a part of this was to make sure that it would be available to the community. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to let us know when it would be free and open because the money that you pay to go to this place only benefits the institution itself, which is already a rich private institution. Yeah. Um, so I wanted people to go see it so they can experience the work. I don't want you to pay rich white people to see mm-hmm. my work on black women's space. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it costs like 20 bucks to go in. I know that nobody, I mean, most people are not mad at spending that money. But me personally, I just don't want anybody to spend money to see mm-hmm. it. Um, but I'm doing more work to find out. I just got back from, from Africa, so I need to do some catching up on mm-hmm. emails and everything. But I want to get a group together and just be like, yo, this group is coming in mm-hmm. and they're free. 
I think that's something that I do have the right to flex on at this point. Everybody that works there saw me working on that thing, like, yeah. for hours and hours and weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so, if, I mean, I, I don't think that they can, I think if there's any, if there's some, I have some weight to pull around mm-hmm. that. So, that's something that I will update everybody on my yeah. website. But it's a beautiful piece. Um, it has a recliner that you can sit in. It's, it just has so many layers of, of just stuff on it that it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I but it's wait. interesting to see. And, yeah. I can't wait. Well, I have to admit, I don't think I told you this. I posted it on social media, but um, I I never got to witness it where you created sort of the ritual space with the candles and the cowrie shells and oh, negotiating yeah. like laws and, and ancestors. But I broke my foot in August. And so I love the design so much that you had that I got my friend to cowrie shell my black cast. Oh, really? Beautiful. I got to show you a picture <laughs> yes, of it. Yes. But it was the inspiration um, of that space. But could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Too? Yeah. So that piece, um, so Refinery29, they do a thing called 29 Rooms, which is, again, a private ticketed event. I'm going to make, I'm going to really try my best in the future to get mm-hmm. my work out there. But I saw this as an opportunity to really manifest um, an idea using someone else's money of course because i'm not i'm by no stretch a baller so a lot of the really fantastic ideas that i have they just remain ideas until Mm -hmm. the time is right to create them or that until the funds are right because it does take money to do anything right Mm -hmm. so um they approached me they were like we have we would we would like to see if you're interested in creating a room and i remembered when i was younger in my dream home i was like i want a giant chair like a chair that you have to climb upstairs to sit in Mm. (laughs) i don't know it was just some weird child like fantasy Mm. but um i i thought about the concept of loss because i mean one thing that people know about chicago even people i live in chicago and i feel safe Mm. all the time i live on the south side i feel Mm. safe but a lot of people that aren't from chicago are like you live in chicago dang i mean aren't you scared you're gonna get shot Mm. and that's something that's a that's a scar that chicago bears the Mm -hmm. scar of all the violence um that chicago has endured and continues to endure due to gun violence predominantly. So a lot of time on your timeline, you see rest in peace, so-and-so, rest in power, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you see this a lot mm-hmm. um, just in, in my sphere. So I was thinking about when people die. I mean, I know that there are different spiritual beliefs, but as far as we can see, when people die, they're no longer here. So mm-hmm. the people who have to endure the loss of the people who have perished are the people who are living. So it's like the living people need a moment of rest. They need a moment of peace sometimes. They need a moment of just power, you know, to be able to get through um, some of these emotional, the the, the burdensome, the weight of losing, Mm -hmm. uh, the weight of loss. So I thought that it would would be really cool to make a a place where all of that could happen. So this place, the, the piece is entitled Rest in Power, Rest in Peace. And it's essentially a giant throne. It's a really simple shape. But um, and you, it's um, about 15 feet tall, so you have to walk upstairs in order to even sit in the mm-hmm. chair itself. Um, it's it's covered in cowrie shells that I that I set by hand, me myself and my friend Imani Amos, who mm-hmm. graciously helped me, came on as an assistant for this project. Um, I I set the cowrie shells with you guessed it nail glue, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then I, I reset the back. It's interesting because I used a. And trying to figure out how to do this in the, the most time, I had to, you know, call on my inner MacGyver and think about how I could be 
because I only really had two weeks to build this thing. Mm. So while the wood was being fabricated, I had to be doing the cowrie shells. And these are thousands of cowrie. I think it may be like at least four or 5,000 on the whole piece. So these are all hand laid um, on a grid that I made. Um, but I ended up putting them on this fiberglass mesh that they use for screens, like window screens. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I know to glue non-porous things quickly to other kind of non-porous surfaces is to use nail glue. So I set all of these shells with nail glue. And then after they were done, I went, I flipped them over and reinforced them with like uh, heavier duty glue. But if I had used heavy duty glue to glue them, they would not have stayed for me to be able to work fast. See? So it's like, it always comes back to nail glue. I was going to the beauty supply buying like 15, 20 bottles of nail glue at a time. <laughs> and the dude would be looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you buying all of our nail glue? You, you're going to build a house out of nail glue. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> that would fall over. But <laughs> just for what I needed it to do at that time. To create it. Yeah. And then the coolest part, I mean, my work is really kind of process intensive. Mm-hmm. Um so after we covered all of this, these shells in grout, you have to let it dry. And then you have to individually scrub each shell out of the grout. Oh, my goodness. And I'm talking, it's not like, oh, wipe it. No, it's like elbow grease. Like, you really have to work to uncover these things. So in addition to gluing 5,000 shells, we also had to hand reveal all these shells. And I had, mm-hmm. luckily, homies that came and volunteered like their time after work to come help me. So, like, a lot of my work is really, like, a group. Um, It definitely has, like, a family synergy around it. Because, again, I think the energy of people volunteering their time is just, like, really valuable. Because it Mm -hmm. means that you want to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really important. But outside of the throne itself, it has another room on the inside, which is a place for reflection. And it has um, 400 flameless candles in there. And also... Uh, paper and markers and a, a box where people could write a note to mm-hmm. someone that they lost maybe just sit and just reflect for a while mm-hmm. and it's a uh, done in gold contact paper so it it really amplifies the glow of the candles and it just has like a really um strong kind of amber vibe about the room mm-hmm. um it's just kind of it's an engulfing mm-hmm. space Every, when you go in there it kind of makes everything a little monochromatic mm-hmm. like it makes the light I and mean, everything becomes kind of engulfed in that ambery yeah. glow but people really um really i just i just know that people need that because i need yeah. that i lost a friend mm-hmm. like one of my uh childhood friends committed suicide mm-hmm. last year and just knowing that this happens to everybody even mm-hmm. if your grandma passed and you knew yeah. she was sick and old you know just the loss is always something yeah. that you have to you're never like ready to lose a person it's yeah. an adjustment Mm-hmm. And I think that just the way that life works right now, I mean, in this day and age, it's not really acceptable for people to take as much time as they need to grieve. I don't mm. think, you know, it's like, oh, I got to go to this funeral yeah. tomorrow, then I got to go to work the next day, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, that's, that doesn't just leave you. It's still with you, yeah. you know? And you're still trying to deal with that loss. So I wanted to consciously create a space where people could deal with those emotions. Mm-hmm. And then I also say, like, you know, if you don't really have anything, it's not, it doesn't have to be a somber or sad place. I mean, I was like, I always jokingly say, like, if you want, if you want a new pair of Jordans, write that, <laughs> you know, on the slip of paper and put it in there. But just a moment for you to reflect, even yeah. if you want to think about things that you want to manifest in your yeah. life, if you want to reflect on some, reflect on someone that's past, if you want anything that you feel mm-hmm. you compel at the time to do it's like harry potter the roman requirement mm-hmm. you know whatever you feel like <laughs> well it's, it's not like that at all actually except for in the sense that whatever you need to do mm-hmm. whatever you need to, whatever you feel compelled to write you should just do it mm-hmm. and leave it 
But people were really touched by it. And I just, you know, and that's really what it's for. Mm-hmm. It's for that. So, I mean, I, I just feel like mission accomplished. And I'm, I'm totally just glad to create that a space for that, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, thank you for creating spaces. Thank you for creating art. Um, that this certainly was a psychotherapy themed conversation in terms of how, how we can use hair as an entry point into our healing experience. So as always, you can follow the latest psychotherapy information through our website, psychotherapy.org, and our Instagram handle, at psychotherapy. And of course, if you love this podcast, please share it. Um, that there were such significant, beautiful, and powerful stories that were shared today. Um, and in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. So thank you so much for listening.